Welcome to the Micromobility Update from September 8th, 2022. I'm Hans Dorsch. Today we are going to the USA. First to the new smartwatch from Apple, then to a new e-scooter from an old manufacturer and then to an old man who just doesn't like e-bikes. This is what happened today in the world of micromobility. Before we start, if you like this podcast, recommend it and give it 5 stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yesterday was Apple Event Day and Apple presented new devices. What does this have to do with micromobility? Well, quite a lot. Anyone familiar with the topic of disruption knows Clayton Christensen's theory of the innovator's dilemma. An illustration of this theory is Apple's iPhone, a manufacturer that had never made a mobile phone before enters the market with a device that simply does everything differently than previous devices and takes the industry by surprise to such an extent that the previous market leaders are completely forced out of the game. $500 fully subsidized with a plan? I said, that is the most expensive phone in the world and it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. Do you remember Steve Barmer, the then CEO of Microsoft? They don't build smartphones anymore. And neither do Nokia. Horace Dedio, who coined the term micromobility, studied under Clayton Christensen. And he believes that micromobility can change the mobility business just as fundamentally. And for those who haven't quite followed the development of the iPhone, here's a new chance to study the concept. Yesterday, Apple unveiled a new Apple Watch, the Apple Watch Ultra, and it's aimed straight at the market leader in premium outdoor watches. At The Verge, Thomas Ricker asks in the headline, Will the Apple Watch Ultra make Garmin the next Nokia? And he goes on, I had a funny feeling watching yesterday's announcement of the Apple Watch Ultra. I've seen this show before. It wasn't until Garmin watch fans on Reddit and Twitter started lampooning Apple that it hit me. This is Nokia all over again. End quote. And the resemblance is striking. He continues, quote, When Apple launched the iPhone in 2007, it was met with derision by Nokia and its fans still clinging to their overweight Symbian OS, tiny keyboards and resistive touchscreens made of plastic. Nokia devices like the N95 were superior to the iPhone in spec sheets, but not in terms of usability. Apple's slow roll approach to adding new features year after year eventually allowed the company to catch up to flagship specs offered by Nokia, Blackberry, Motorola and Palm as each company hemorrhaged market share and revenue, end quote. In fact, Apple already has the best-selling smartwatch under $500, but Garmin is ahead when it comes to real sports and outdoor watches, for example with the Phoenix models. With the Apple Watch Ultra, which costs $800 in the USA and €1,000 in Europe, Apple is doing exactly what it did with the iPhone. Quote, I can say this already though. 
Garmin's biggest weak spot is usability. Its high-end watches have tons of features and capabilities that are obscured by complicated software that feels at times like operating a scientific calculator. Apple excels at user interfaces. Garmin doesn't. Just like Nokia, which struggled in vain to adapt Symbian in response to the iPhone on Android. And given enough time, Apple's watches will catch up to the specs and features available on Garmin's flagship watches. End quote. Ricker is curious to see how Garmin responds. Meanwhile, Horace Dedio speaks out on Twitter. There, Dim M. Jenin writes, quote, They are stepping right on Garmin territory. Won't be easy to convince many to switch. Garmin 7 series is excellent with 20 days battery and a great app which is synced to bike computers, waistbands, weight, etc. It's a nice watch, but Garmin is better for serious athletes. And then you answers. Remarkable how predictable disruption is. Garmin executives should be reading the innovator's dilemma. But you know what happens. End quote. Well, let's follow the development. This will be interesting. And while we are on the subject of new introductions, there's another one, this time with wheels, from Razer. 20 years ago, they were in the USA what Micro or K2 were in Europe, market leaders in small, often foldable kick scooters for adults. Now, They've introduced a new electric scooter for adults, the Echo Smart Cargo. Andrew Hawkins writes about it also at The Verge. Razer, the company that helped kick off the scooter craze over two decades ago, is expanding its lineup of vehicles for adults with the Echo Smart Cargo, a pretty rad looking electric scooter that borrows a lot from the world of e bikes. End quote. I would say the scooter looks pretty rustic. With its frame, handlebars and saddle or bench seat, it practically only has the bare essentials needed to get around. I continue quoting. The scooter features a number of stylish design touches, including an olive green body and roomy bamboo deck. The scooter also sports a high-torque 1000 watt motor and chain drivetrain and can reach speeds up to 19.9 miles per hour 23 kilometers per hour and boasts a range of up to 16.6 miles 26.7 kilometers end quote the device stands between a scooter e-bike and moped scooter which does not make a purchase decision very easy quote again it remains to be seen whether customers will consider this a more rugged scooter an e-bike with a few missing parts or a skinnier moped. To me, it looks like a cross between a Red Runner electric utility bike and those Zoomers fat tire scooters. More broadly, it's an established company taking a risk on a new form factor, and that's cool. More of this, please. End quote. And by the way, the Echo Smart Cargo costs $1,100. That might make decisions easier. We stay in the USA and continue almost seamlessly from the previous article with e-bikes. 
They are not yet as widespread in the USA as they are in Europe, and it will stay that way, according to the writer for The Atlantic. He has a big problem with e-bikes, but mostly with his ego. John Woodruff, whose newsletter led me to this, writes quite fittingly, LOL, what a boomer. Even companies like Shell are convinced e-bikes are the future. End quote. The author ventures on a self-experiment during the pandemic and rides an e-bike instead of using a car or public transport. In the introduction he writes, I'd like to drive less, exercise more, commune with nature and hate myself with a lesser intensity because I'm driving less, exercising more and communing with nature. One way to accomplish all of these goals I decided earlier this year was to procure an e-bike. That's a bicycle with a motor, if you didn't know. I could use it for commuting, for errands, for putting my human body at work and for reducing my environmental impact. A cyclist I have never been, but perhaps an e-biker I could become. End quote. But apparently the thing doesn't fit into his conception of the world at all. He goes on, quote, But I've been trying to live with one and, brother, I've got some bad news. These things are freaks. Portraying e-bikes as a simple, obvious and inevitable evolution of transportation or even of bicycling doesn't fully explain these strange contraptions. The same was said of segways and then of bird scooters and both flamed out spectacularly, end quote. Laurens van Royen commented on LinkedIn, Comparing e-bikes to segways and e-scooters can only be done by an American. Everybody living in Europe is aware of the fact that, like it or not, e-bikes are here to stay and won't go anywhere anytime soon. P.S. Many of the author's gripes are related to the insufficient infrastructure for both bicycles and e-bikes in the U.S. End quote. Yet the author knows all the infrastructure problems. I quote, The narrow protected lanes and greenway trails built for human-powered bikes, already littered with stroller pushers and joggers, don't quite scale to the new swiftness of e-bikes. The pathways and roads themselves, perhaps already unsafe at bike speed due to uneven pavement and poor maintenance, feel even more dangerous on a not-quite-motorcycle, end quote. But apparently they can't be changed. He also lists all the advantages and has at least heard of studies that say people ride more with e-bikes and thus move more. But for him, exercise is only valid if you sweat while doing it. I quote, An e-bike sure seems like a way to cheat at exercise, even if it really facilitates it. That's been my experience. The credit my Apple Watch gives me for outdoor cycling on my e-bike pales in comparison to the exertion I undertake at home on the peloton, end quote. Nothing to say against peloton. There's nothing wrong with targeted training at home. But I have the feeling that the author is only dropping the expensive stationary bike here to show off, because for him, an e-bike is nothing to brag about. He writes on, Perhaps my e-bike ambivalence comes in part from the bike's strange social status. An e-bike isn't cheap. The least expensive ones are about $1,000 and they go up to $5,000 or more. 
but the symbolic value one receives in exchange is minimal. Spending large on a conventional bike would get you a status symbol. You'd come over as a cyclist for sure. For that matter, spending that dow on a Vespa would infuse you with an Aperol-tinged Italianate cool. You'd want to be seen arriving on your moped. But I don't want anybody seeing me on my e-bike. It's just kind of embarrassing. Vehicles have symbolic value, like it or not. Cars denote freedom. Commuter bikes imply, for better or worse, jerkitude or tweeness. Motorcycles are cool, e-scooters are for douche bros. But e-bikes have no clear character. They fall between the cracks, end quote. I spare you his further remarks about how coolness has to do with speed, danger and engine noise. And just like the Nokia lovers in 2007, he can't imagine the world changing. Quote, the micromobility advocates present new or newly popular personal transit vehicles as a Cambrian explosion for transit that might snoo out the supposedly evil automobile. In this view, the more options out there, each tuned for a different purpose, the more likely that small, clean, human-scale transportation will win over chunky, dirty machinery. So far, they have not been right. End quote. I'll cite John here again. Lol, what a boomer. That's it for today. We'll hear again in the next episode. And once again, as a reminder, like and subscribe. So give the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you haven't already, subscribe so that the next episode automatically lands in your inbox. 